0: Hello, and welcome back to Anti-Monitor. Fall is creeping up on us, and so is awards season, so we took a look at some of the most wildly snubbed Academy Award also-rans of the last 16 years. But that's just a primer for this week's main course, the criminally overlooked John Hillcoat film The Road. Even though they can't all be winners, some folks just never stop trying. So tape on your favorite pair of comfy shoes, crack open a fruit cup, because we've got a long walk ahead. Gosh, does that suck? <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser.
1: You're listening to Anti-Monitor from DoomRocket.com. I knew it, I'm
0: surrounded by assholes. I'm not even going to dignify myself with a response to that. That's right, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Welcome back to Anti-Monitor. My name's Matt, Birdman Fleming, and across the table from me as always is Jared Jones. Editor-in-chief of DoomRocket.com, and classic old-timey villain. Yeah, I grew my mustache out. Yeah, you did. You look like a combination of Martin Scorsese and Errol Flynn. I was hoping you'd say Snidely Whiplash. I actually have a friend who looks a little too much like he ties women to train tracks. <laughs> so you'd still come in second to him. Oh, well, that's relieving. But, you know, he's his mustache is less uh, is less like... Cross the street, and more like, I gotta run the other way. Ah, uh, I see. Well, where would you put my mustache right now? Cross the street. Cross the street? Really? I'm just kidding. I love it. I love when you grow the mustache. You got a good mustache. Children love me. You look like you are gonna direct a film in the 1950s, and it's gonna have an octopus. Basically, I'm saying you look a little bit like Ed Wood. That's great. Yeah, it is That's great. a compliment. Uh, speaking of great filmmakers... <laughs> um, It's Oscar season just about. It's getting to be. Award season is upon us. Uh, I would say officially the first real um, couple of entrants in the fall uh, Mm -hmm. offering have really made their stamp right now. You got Hell or High Water. Sure.
1: To an extent, I enjoyed it enough.
0: But it, it seems like they're
1: trying Oh yeah, that one's gonna You're gonna see that guy, uh, that movie sneaking into some lay award lists, definitely
0: And then of course, uh, the uh, heart-wrenching tale of the miracle on the Hudson or whatever you know, Sully Sullen Yeah, Sullen <laughs> That's how I would feel after watching that movie well, People are saying it's pretty damn good Even for late career Clint Eastwood stuff, so who knows That's raking in money Yeah Well, so uh, on that thought we talk a lot about Oscar bait every year. We do. We do. We've even turned it
1: into a single word. It was once a feature on Doom Rocket. I've been trying to find a way to reincorporate it, but maybe I'll have a brainstorm at the end of this episode. In the meantime,
0: uh, let's talk about some of the most uh, the most out there grasps at. Uh, achieving award recognition sure. for the last uh, 16 yeah, since the turn of the century. Keep the, keep the list
1: small. Because you got your Pulp Fictions and your Shawshank Redemptions. Everybody knows about those. The also-rans that lost to inferior films. And, of course, we could talk about the inferior films that won in their place. You've got your Crashes. You've got your uh, American Beauties. I mean, they exist, but we're going to keep it honed and focused he also Rans of the 21st century that we feel were woefully snubbed.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that we were going to talk about ones that were snubbed. I was talking about the ones that were uh i focused on the ones that are like they tried too hard and failed miserably. That's fine too. All right. That's good. as cool long too. as we're as long as we're on the same page that way.
1: Vaguely. Yeah. I mean, we'll be looking at different pages, but the book is open.
0: That's good. <laughs> uh well, let me lead things off. Sure. With uh, speaking of Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. uh, with one of Clint Eastwood's biggest failures of his late directing career. Okay. J. Edgar. Oh, I forgot that happened. You still fancy facial hair, Agent Stokes. The ladies appreciate it. Mm. And I suppose the ladies' opinions are more important than the bureau's? No, sir. Perhaps you are better suited for the police force than the Bureau of Investigations. I've been with the department of the Bureau for seven years,
1: Edgar, almost as long as you.
0: No, you were with the old Bureau seven years and that Bureau is now gone, sir. And so are you. Now, J. Edgar also kind of leads off a subgenre of just failed biopics of the last couple of decades. There's You've got your Dianas. You got your Iron Lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, both movies with capable actors that just really shit the bed. There's no better way to put it than shit the bed. And Jay Edgar shit uh,
1: the biggest bed that it could. The biggest bed. You, you know, you just said Diana. I completely forgot that movie actually happened. Naomi Watts was Diana. And Princess she, of Wales.
0: She did a bad job. Oh, boy. Uh, the The obsession with, for so many years, trying to figure out how to make Leonardo DiCaprio the uh, quintessential best actor. Mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese's been trying it time and time and time and time and time again. You gotta, you gotta love him for it, though. That collaboration reaped beautiful, beautiful fruit with Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, it's notable that I've been a fan of the Martin Scorsese-Leonardo DiCaprio collaboration since it began with Gangs of New York. Yeah. I consider that to be a little bit of an underrated film. It's got some big problems. Sure. Cameron Diaz. <laughs> but it also has uh, two of the best performances of two great actors' careers. I'm talking Liam Neeson. Sure. And Dale Day-Lewis.
1: Well, then I have a question for you then. How would Kings New York with Marty Scorsese and Leo DiCaprio chart against Jay Edgar
0: with Leo DiCaprio and Clint Eastwood? Uh Leaps and bounds mm. above and beyond. Okay. If for no other reason than uh, Martin Scorsese is a transcendent filmmaker. Yeah. Clint Eastwood is uh, an old guy who makes movies. <laughs> and everybody still, you know, lets he, him get away made, with it.
1: He's made some amazing
0: movies, though. He's made some great movies. Yeah. Just not as recently. Sure. You know, uh, say what you will about Sully. I don't want to Sully his oh, good name. Okay. But uh, you know, uh, American Sniper or whatever that movie was. Mm, uh no no thank you. Don't gotta talk about that. Uh let's move on. Sure. What's your first pick?
1: Well, I mean I'm gonna go I'm gonna ride your coattails if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Okay. Um while Clint Eastwood uh while J. Edgar did not dazzle you, one film he did make did dazzle the Academy and that was Million Dollar Baby. That's true. Now Million Dollar Baby on top of pretty much sweeping the Oscars that year. Uh, plus or minus a couple. The most notable win was for Hilary Swank, her second Academy Award win for Best Actress. That's true. You could say uh, that she uh, rose to the top at a breakneck pace. Oh boy, oh boy. Well, the, uh, and that brings me to my pick uh, for, <laughs> and also ran who should have won but didn't, Catalina sandino Moreno for Maria. Full of Grace.
0: Ooh.
1: Yes. Uh, This is a movie uh, that kind of gutted me when I saw it in the theaters. I saw this at the Michigan Theater in Ann Arbor. And then, um, of course, when we were working at Front Row Video, I special ordered that film to make sure that we had at least one copy on the new release wall when it came out because our manager at the time, before I took over, was rather adamant about not uh, ordering those damn indie movies. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, The hell you say? And I rented the shit out of it to people. We made money hand over fist on that flick because it was so damn good. And Catalina Sandino Moreno, the reason why it's so exceptional that she lost to Hillary Swain because you would say, of course she did. But this was the first time Miss Moreno had been acting in her entire life. Her first flick, Out of the Gate,
0: Best Actress not. Loses to Hillary Swank. That's just not fair. That's just that's how the academy works sometimes. And sometimes. You know, uh later on, like Hillary Swank tried to keep that momentum going and like use her own uh Oscar power yeah. Oscar powers to get uh <laughs> to get Sam Rockwell and the that conviction movie to be a thing. Sure. Fun fact about that though, oh they shot a bunch of the uh bar scenes where she's working in a bar. At the bar next to the house that I grew up in. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, super weird.
1: Yeah, they were filming a lot of movies in Michigan until uh, our ex-governor went and fucked it up for everybody. That's true. Thanks, uh, Rick Snyder. Hashtag
0: Uh, not my governor. mm -mm, Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd like to talk for a moment. Yeah, let's bring it back to you. About something that the Academy has long been a fan of, which is musical film. Oh, okay. Yes. We've seen highs with Chicago where I in mean, Chicago I'm not saying that it was a high I'm just like I'm saying that I was think pretty, you might have been high yeah. when you saw that it's a pretty well executed uh musical film from the last sure. 20 years sure. and it got accolades it, it received did a, a bucket load of, of awards mm-hmm. and then you see like the low low which is nine another Daniel Day Lewis kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of thing <laughs> but what I want to talk about 2004's Phantom of the Opera. Say what? I tell you what, that is an underrated Oscar bait flick. Well, I remember a lot of people,
1: especially people who were huge Phantom fans. Uh, yeah, right over here. <laughs> where people uh, were really kind of pushing it. Like, I mean, if Twitter and Facebook were as powerful now, then you could have really seen... Uh, Phantom of the Opera, the movie, getting thrown up
0: on a couple of lists. It didn't get nominated for anything. Oh no, it, it received nominations, but it it just seemed to mm. fly under the radar yeah. of uh, of like the accolades that I think it should have received. Refresh my memory. Who starred in that movie? Oh, that would be one Gerard Butler. I see. So that's something that we got out of that. We got <laughs> we got Gerard Butler out of the Phantom of the Opera yeah great and emmy rossum emmy rossum is so great okay have you ever watched shameless i'll
1: give you emmy rossum you can have her all you want but gerard butler we have been paying dearly for that you you phantom fanites with a ph how how dare you blight us with gerard butler for you what movie did you have did you do uh olympus has fallen yes i did yeah yeah what'd you think about that one was it worth your Phantom of the Opera bird? Was it?
0: You know, it was. Oh. Because Gerard Butler is fun. You're f- and and uh, <laughs> I once, well, once watched a movie starring Gerard Butler as an Irish guy who played guitar who died and it made me cry. <laughs> so moving forward, Jared, what's next on your list?
1: Well, I got one because this is just weird. It, it baffles me. Amy Adams still has zero
0: Oscars for her house. Zero. That is pretty weird. Isn't that peculiar? I thought she should have received a special award for best at acting like giving Philip Seymour Hoffman a handjob in The Master. I think the Academy was about to agree with you, and then
1: she lost out. No, no, she's zero, zero for zero. Zero for zero. Um, but the most egregious uh, error on the Academy's part, in my humble opinion, was for June Bug back in 2007. Best Supporting Actress. Were you born in Chicago? I was born right here, lived here my whole life. My favorite animal is the meerkat. Do you know what they are? They're so cute. Oh, I've got this little charm bracelet with meerkats on it. Do you have lots of boyfriends? I bet you did. Did you ever try out for cheerleading or anything? I tried out, but I didn't make it.
0: I was born in Japan. You were not.
1: You want to know who she lost out to? Who did you lose that to? Rachel Weiss Oof. for The, the Constant Gardener. Now, The Constant Gardener, uh, you recall, uh, came out. was uh, one of those uh, Jean Lacar adaptations that became Academy Award fodder
0: for some reason. It, just... it became Academy Award fodder, I think, because it was uh, the first film made after City of God mm-hmm. by uh, the filmmaker whose name I'm forgetting all of a sudden. Oh, I see. Um, and it had Ray lines.
1: Yep who uh everyone still uh says he was in two movies uh
0: Harry Potter and the English Patient that's true <laughs> but um, and now he's and now he's you know in James Bond so I think anything with Rafe Fines automatically or even even his little brother you know his little brother uh Joey <laughs> Joey that's not his yes Joey <laughs> Joey, Joey Fine Joey Fine <laughs> you know he he had his moment in the sun with uh,
1: Shakespeare in Love. And then that was it. He he was in Ben-Hur just now. Oh, just wow. now. It, it came and it went. Uh, there's the yeah, chariot ben, and there,
0: ben, it go- there it goes. Ben-Hur been gone <laughs> out of the theaters. <laughs> sure. Yeah, Amy Adams is well-deserving.
1: Hell yeah. And you know it stinks because I, I hope Arrival is as good as people are saying that it is. Because if it's not... Then she's stuck doing Lois Lane for God knows how long, and ain't nobody got time for that.
0: No, absolutely, especially not me. You got one more pick in your belt, don't you? I do. It's kind of a broad one. Ah, lay it on me. But there's been a man who's been chasing awards for years. Mm -hmm. And he could tell you that he's not, but he's a part-time film professor and a Mm -hmm. full-time whack job at this point. I used to be in love with Terrence Malick, uh, and uh, after The Thin Red Line, every consecutive effort that he's put out mm-hmm. has been like, look at me, I just made the best movie anyone's ever made. And it's like, nah, you didn't. Uh, <laughs> nah, you didn't. I'm sorry, Colin Farrell is not selling me on this uh, new version of the Pocahontas story. Yeah, with he was the new John World.
1: Smith, wasn't he? He was. Oh, I remember that crap. Uh, I'm
0: not a fan of Terrence Malick, man. I've tried. I've dug deep. His first, you know, three big films, Badlands, Days of Heaven, then Red Line.
1: I can get down with Badlands because that's the one of his, I think that's the one film he made that has the most story to it. That's
0: true. It's the only one with really any story. (laughs) But I'm a fan of atmosphere. I'm a fan of Great cinematography, Mm -hmm. and I don't mind a movie that seems not to really go anywhere but has some resonance to it. But I also am a big fan of staying awake during movies. Yeah, and that's my favorite thing I think about watching movies. Yeah, I love when I'm awake the whole time, and he's been putting out movies that put me to sleep. Now, don't get me wrong, I can't wait to see Voyage of Time because it looks Beautiful, and there are sequences in Tree of Life that look beautiful, but do not put Ben Affleck in in front of some weird filters and some natural lighting, and tell me to enjoy to the wonder. Oh boy, to the wonder! You know, now it's officially
1: two Batman under his belt because we had Knight of Cups, which came out earlier this year. Yeah, that's true. And I I have read nothing on it, even Devin Faraci, who likes to like kind of. Jay off a little bit on Terrence Malick. Nothing. And, and still nothing. And now that uh, outlets are starting to uh, hype up the Oscar buzz, there's no Knight of Cups there. No. And so too with To the Wonder. Did Two the Wonder net anything uh, uh, Academy Award? Uh, no,
0: I don't think it got any. I, um, if it did, if it got anything, it would be technical stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. Terrence Malick makes technically beautiful films that – Literally, no one wants to see. Yeah. Except for the people who keep wanting to go back and want to see him recapture the emotion and uh, the, the gravitas that he really commanded with Days of Heaven and especially them with The Thin Red Line. Unfortunately, Terry, you might need to go back into retirement and stick to teaching kids in Austin how to, you know, make a real movie. Or supply all of his audiences uh, with um,
1: tabs of uh, either Molly, uh, Ecstasy, or Acid. Because that's the only way you're going to elicit a response out of me. I don't care how good this next movie looks. It may look stupendous, but if, I, if I'm not... It's like that Danny Boyle movie, uh, Sunshine. It looks Incredible. And I like it more than I should because it has a story attached to it. But if you just strip the story from it, you have a Terrence Malick in space movie, mm-hmm. ostensibly. Um, if you were to ap- apply a good script beyond just the visuals, I think Terrence Malick would probably be one of the most potent filmmakers of all time. I'm about to go on a rant here. Uh, I'll pull back.
0: I'll pull back. But you get my point. I get your point because I used to be just uh, the biggest Terrence Malick advocate anyone would know. And at this point, it's just getting, uh... It's, odd. It's not even odd. It's just getting sad. Mm. Because I know that he's capable of doing something amazing. And he just keeps putting out this patting himself on the back stuff. And that doesn't deserve an award.
1: No more movies than Woody Allen at this point. He's just cranking
0: them out. Ugh. Ugh. Mm. I don't want to think about Woody Allen cranking anything oh, out. Oh, man. Anyway, go ahead. Let's wrap things up I- with this.
1: I'm going to sneak in, um... Uh, a dark horse before I go on to my actual pick. And it's a little a, a couple of years before the twenty first century, but I feel like I I'd be fucking up if I didn't mention it. You remember the Todd Solon's film Happiness. Oh do I? Now even though he's only in the movie for maybe five minutes and it's all the way at the front of the flick, I felt that John Lovitz deserved at least an academy award nomination
0: for best at, supporting actor Best
1: supporting actor at the very least people have been nominated for less time screen time that john levitt's put into that and he was magnificent that whole uh, sequence with him in the ashtray with the actress and it's even to this day i can like go back watch that clip and i just be like "Oh, john levitt's giving me the feels but moving on to the final pick Uh, another person who got snubbed big time by the Academy, who ought to have gotten a little more recognition. He's doing just fine now. You know him as Kurt Wagner in this summer's X-Men Apocalypse, but we knew him today in the 2009 film, based on the Cormac McCarthy novel, uh, The Road, Cody Smith McPhee. Oh, really? He played Nightcrawler. He he did. This kid was also in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, um, in a dozen other movies that I'm probably not even thinking about right now. He did the voice of uh, Norman in Paranorman. He was in the uh, Let the Right One In remake, Let Me In. I mean, this kid's been putting some high-profile flicks, and so far, eh, the Academy's like, yeah, wait till you're older, kid. Wait wait till those balls drop. I was gonna say, you know, uh,
0: it seems like the Academy is a little more rewarding of the younger uh, female actresses. You see a lot, you get like your Kristen Dunst or your... Uh, Anna Paquin. Anna Paquin, that's the one I was really thinking of. Uh, that young lady from Whale Rider. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, young, yeah, I guess young boys don't really get nominated that much.
0: I can't think of uh, a single notable uh, nomination for a young boy.
1: You know, Elijah Wood I always felt he got robbed for Radio Flyer. Oh, absolutely. That movie always makes me cry. Oof, every time. To this day.
0: That one and uh, Jack the Bear. That's Jack another, the Bear. That's one that oh, makes
1: me why'd cry. you do that to me just now?
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> in case we're not sad enough by what we've just watched, we could just have a big sad fest and, you know, cry tears all over ourselves and. Oof. How many people do you think are still
1: alive? In the world? Not very many. Which brings us to this week's film. I hope you guys like your sad bastards talking about sad bastard shit because we're about to mope a little bit about John Hillcoat's 2009 film, The Road. Now, Bertie, you have a little confession to make to our audience today, don't you?
0: Uh, Yes, I must confess. uh, Today, we're in the year 2016. Yes, of our Lord. uh, Yes, our Lord Satan. Uh, This is a movie that came out in 2009, Mm -hmm. uh, and I must admit, Today was the first time I ever watched it. That baffles me. Well, I have to admit, I didn't really understand it going in, like, before watching it. Okay. I didn't know really what it was. I think that I might have gotten it in my brain mixed up with the book of Eli uh-huh. and, like, thought that it was going to be something like that. Um, you didn't.
1: What's the matter? Uh, here, here, look at the pedigree here. We have John Hillcote, who made uh, The Proposition, that Australian Western, that was just phenomenal, had Guy Pearce in it. I think uh, probably some other Australian actors of note. Well,
0: and most
1: notably, it was written by Nick Cave. That's right. And he did the score as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in 2007, I think one of the most uh, best picture-worthy films won Best Picture, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. And so – based on a Cormac McCarthy novel, which The Road is, with that director, with Aragorn of Aerithorne himself, Viggo Mortensen, starring in this thing. I mean, what what was keeping you from watching this movie? Uh,
0: you know, I think it was just that. I think I just didn't really get the Cormac McCarthy thing. I didn't get, uh... I thought it was... I thought it was gonna be something completely different. And... Uh, as I was mentioning earlier, I'm a big fan of Atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't mind a movie that doesn't seem to go anywhere with this movie. kind of doesn't really go anywhere. We, we but, can get down to that a little later. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just I messed up. I messed up. Well, that's fine. We're, uh, we're making amends today. Um, but also, I would like to point out that, uh, and, I, and I knew this as I was watching it without looking, but I just double-checked, uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis also did the music for this film. And Hell or High Water recently. Uh, and they just put out a new record that I have on vinyl that I haven't taken out yet.
1: They're best friends. <laughs> uh, so what would you think about The Road, Bird? I want your feelings on this. Uh,
0: my initial reaction okay. uh, was that this is one of the best, very serious, sort of boring movies I've ever seen. <laughs> um, I took I took more notes on this movie than I've taken on movies... That we've done before just because there's so much stuff that i'm not supposed to laugh at yeah but you did But i was laughing i know because it was so self-serious and i think that's my i know consider consider
1: the the material that we're working with here
0: sometimes i tell the boy old stories of courage and justice difficult as they are to remember all i know is the child is my warrant and if he is not the word of god then god never spoke
1: let's let's lay out the film really quick before we start going into your notebook yeah go ahead here we have a um a post apocalyptic drama not a thriller a drama there are some moments that they try to horn in some like tense like uh, craziness like there's that completely unnecessary trees are falling out of the ground sequence and then of course there's always the looming threat of cannibals but here we are a father and a son um living in a world that just kind of gave up living the world stopped living around us can't grow food energy is scarce people are now running out of things to consume and now they're looking at each other like tasty morsels and now we're at kind of the end of end times for man and it's grim so yeah it's a, little, it's a little dark, to say the least. Does this kind of stuff put you off
0: in general? No, no. That's the thing. Like I said, it was, it was enjoyable. Sure. Uh, and it was boring. Uh, enjoyable <laughs> and boring. And, but there were, there were these little flashes where, like, something is happening. Like, mm-hmm. oh, don't open that cellar. There's a bunch of uh, food prisoner people. Basically, <laughs> just a basement full of people we're keeping to eat. Uh, that was great, and that was creepy. There, Okay, so there's that video game, The Last of Us, right? Yes, which th- is this movie, pretty much, but a video game. Uh, but uh,
1: people are in less dire straits in the game than they are in this movie. Um, but there are B-plots in Last of Us that exist in the road only briefly that I think if they had explored it would have made like a pretty awesome horror movie. It's that close. That's how close it gets sometimes to just becoming a full-blown horror horror flick of like the highest caliber like if it decided to go that route if hillcoat was like yeah the McCarthy novel's fine we're gonna we're gonna pump this up a little bit you could have gotten like up to the witch level Mm -hmm. of like spookiness of like elegant spookiness um because it's there all of it's there um and the subtext of every location it just drips off the screen i had a big problem with this movie when i saw it the first time because i felt like they were trying to Glam it up a little too much. A lot of CGI shots that I thought didn't need to be in there. Just keep the, the camera tight. Keep it on the actors. Pull back when you need to see what they're seeing. But the focus
0: should always be on these two. And it, and it wasn't sometimes. And that kind of frustrated me. Uh, my question about The Last of Us is, uh, in the game, is there an option to have just a kid? To have a kid to drag around? <laughs> because, <laughs> because that's the... <laughs> The answer is no. The heart of this story, this, the road is about a father and a son and their inseparable bond, and the father's desire, his need to keep the fire of life ignited in Mm -hmm. his son. Except for the times when he's teaching him how to put a gun in his mouth to blow his (laughs) brains out just in case. Okay. Or, or the time when he's like, "Uh, "These people might get us." And the ever-looming threat of us getting murdered can only be trumped by, I'm going to kill you before they can kill you, because I don't want them to rape you?
1: Okay, I think right there is the crux of this entire film. Now, listeners, beware. Here be spoilers. We're going to jump right into the ending here. But throughout the film, Viggo Mortensen says in voiceover, he says... I have to keep asking myself, when the time comes, will I be able to do it? And he's not talking about killing himself. He's talking about killing his son because he knows what's out there. He knows that if he's if he gets sick or dies, something horrible is going to happen to his son. He can't think past himself. He thinks that without him, his son is doomed. In fact, that's not the case at all. In fact, if anything, he's been keeping his son in mortal danger needlessly for practically the entire length of the film because we see in the very end that there's been this family following them. Because he... Viggo Mortensen's character knows... Because they don't have names, by the way. So (laughs) dad (laughs) knows... Papa. Papa knows... Papa and boy. (laughs) Papa knows that they're being followed because he's paranoid and he keeps... And every time he runs into somebody, he's like, how long have you been following us? like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. They've been followed by a really loving family that are armed to the teeth and probably have a nice little shelter and... But now they're far, far away from it because they've been following this kid. They find this huge, wonderful crawl space filled with food and they stay there for a couple of days and everything just looks like it's on the ups as far as that goes. I I would rather stay in that crawl space than in our house. But then they hear a bark, bark dog and they peace out because they think it's no longer safe. They would have been the safest they had ever been if his paranoid father would have... If he stabbed for just a second and allowed himself to get killed out in the wild, his son would have not only been fine, he would have prospered.
0: Insofar as this world is concerned. Jared Jones, I would like you to know that it's as if you took a laser, Mm. opened up the scalp and top of skull part, looked into my brain and said, (laughs) wonder what bird was about to say. Uh, As soon as they got to that swank shelter. That was swanky. First of all, all I could think about was we don't have enough non-perishables in our home. That's true. No, no case some More. shit goes, God, do you know that would be like living like a king? Yeah. To just all those cans of Dinty Moore, Dinty Moore, and uh, Del Monte fruits. Yeah, and vitamin water because <laughs> yeah. because vitamin water got into the uh, got got introduced into the conversation of. Uh, uh, Product placement That's the most peculiar part uh, Well no there are actually several peculiar parts of the film And uh,
1: we'll get to those in a minute But you're absolutely right Vitamin water If you're going to do product
0: placement In a dystopic movie Vitamin water That took me right out of it The The moment where, the, where he gives the kid the coke The can mm-hmm. of coke He's like this is a treat for you <laughs> <laughs>
1: Really good you should
0: have
1: some. I want you to have some. It's bubbly. <laughs> yeah, some treat I, Dad. I my love... my teeth are already rotting out of my head, I guess. It tastes
0: the... he he like looks the kid looks at it. He doesn't know how to Put a can <laughs> to his mouth and he goes Ooh, Daddy, this is so good. It's bubbly. I went burp like the kid never this kid has never had a soda. He's the he only hasn't. kid, the only kid alive that has never had a sip of cola before. He was
1: born as the shit was going down, his mom was going south too, real quickly. He, I'm not talking about to the Bermuda's or they're supposedly going, she mentally was breaking down. So all they had in the house is probably big beans and despair. So having something like Coca-Cola, yes, a foreign concept to say the least. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie is that when they're in that little uh, uh, bomb shelter or whatever you want to call it and they get all bathed up and they put on nice clothes and they have haircuts and he's sitting there with his bottle of Jack Daniels and he's smoking a cigarette and he's just trying to enjoy some of the... Pleasures of the life he once had because he had it. Mm-hmm. And then later in the film, they go back to the house he grew up in and he's pointing at all these things like, this is the mantle where we used to hang our stockings for Christmas. That kid doesn't fucking know what Christmas is. No, that kid thinks it's a bad idea. To be in the house. Yeah, It's like, uh, we're drawing attention to ourselves. It's like, he has the memories his son will never have. And that is just another way that he is keeping his son from... Blossoming into the human being, whatever human beings can be in the next world, and there has to be a next world. There's that little tease of that bull weevil opening wing and letting loose, just as he gets shot in the, just as Papa gets shot in the leg. So there is a tinge of hope applied to this film, but throughout it all,
0: it's Viggo Mortensen who's keeping his son hold back. That's true. Uh, if anything, the kid is keeping Viggo Mortensen alive. Mm-hmm. They have that little argument toward the end, where uh, you know. The kid asserts himself finally, mm-hmm. and it seems like that's the moment where Vigo Mortensen's character decides, okay, I accept it, I'm going to die sooner than later, I'm coughing up blood, I got this weird knee bandage on all the time, uh, every time I take all my clothes off I look really sickly and you can see my balls. You, you had a real problem with Vigo Mortensen's balls. I just thought it was a little unnecessary to this get the This is my impression
1: this is my impression of you. Um, the first time we saw his his tush and uh, the bottom uh, rung of his uh, sack. scrotum, you were like, "Ooh," and I was like, "Huh? You'd never watched a serious adult R-rated movie before." I wanted to
0: stop the movie and scold you, but I didn't. Well, c- <laughs> certainly, I have, but it was just—I <laughs> just was like, "Oh man," you know. You probably could have played this scene out without that brief moment of ball. Uh, it just adds credibility to the the direness of the entire film. I'm just glad the kid wasn't naked.
1: That would have pushed it, I think.
0: But, but um they do it but the the problem is that the kid sometimes has his head on straight and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes the dad has his head on straight, sometimes he doesn't. But I guess that's what post-apocalypse is. You just don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah, dude, because
1: you'll be walking through the woods, and then you'll come to a clearing, and what do you see? You'll see a pack of cannibals hunting down a mother and their child. It's like, oh, we're not going that way. You have to turn around. <laughs> we got to get back to our shopping cart. <laughs> <laughs> you, you go through the woods. You find a cabin. You're like, this could be our shelter. And then you come across Skull Graveyard, and you're like, yeah, yeah we're just going to turn right around. You can't go anywhere in this world. And they never define it in the story either. That's what I love most. Like, I never read the, the book. I always have meant to. But watching this film again, I think this might be my winter reading. Uh, when it gets really cold outside, I'm going to read mm-hmm. this fucker and give myself nightmares. But there's, no, there's only a sense of place in that we know the world is fucked. There's no city that we can relate to. There are skylines that are just hollowed out. We can't define them. Um, no one has a name. No one has a set accent. Like um, we have that one act, actor puppet, Garrett Dillahunt mm-hmm. And he's got his usual um, You never killed no man no more And it's like that's his voice in every movie So, But then you run across Mr. Robert Duvall And he's
0: just got this letter, I've
1: been old forever
0: Yeah I knew this was coming This was something like it There were warnings yeah, Some people thought it was a con I always believed in it you try to get before, right? What would you do? Even if you knew what to do, you wouldn't know what to do.
1: My name is Eli, and Vigo Mortens is calling bullshit on him for no reason. He's just being addicted to this old guy. He goes, how old are you, old man? 90, 90, bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> is
0: that what you tell people so they don't rape you?
1: Right. <laughs> like, there's a vague southern tinge to everyone's accent, but there isn't because they're supposed to be heading south. And how much further south? Like... We're not talking like Mexican territory here or anything like that. We're not heading down to Nicaragua. No, this is definitely like they're going to Florida. (laughs) Yeah, they feel like they're like heading down to the Keys or something. Um, So, with this just gray slate world that we're in, what we have to rely on are the actors themselves. And while they're not always the most reliable emotionally, Cody Smith McPhee and Viggo Mortensen acted the shit out of this movie. Absolutely, Viggo Mortensen's one of my favorite actors. Period. Like my top three, Viggo Mortensen flicks: uh, History of Violence, Hell Yeah, Eastern Promises, absolutely, and The Road. Despite its flaws, like he in those three flicks, rocks it. Mm.
0: Oh yeah, man, that is. Those are. That's a good list. Yeah, Viggo Mortensen's great. The two of them work really well together. I'm going to say 90% of the time. 90% of the time. Well, what's the other 10% for you? The other 10% is just when it's a little too hammy. There's moments of hamminess, uh, which I think could be a combination of source material. And um, John Hillcoat maybe not exercising as much restraint as he could in moments. Robert Duvall did feel like he was... Trying to get some chuckles out of the audience, like when he
1: spits up some of his canned fruit for no reason. Other than maybe he has stomach cancer and he can't hold it down. He's just being an old man. Actually, that prompts a question really quick. Hmm. What do you think Papa had? Viggo Mortensen. He's coughing up blood. Do you think he had cancer?
0: Probably. Huh. Most likely. Yeah. He was coughing a lot.
1: He was, and he was getting worse, deteriorating. They do a really good job of, you know... Not
0: punctuating it, but weaving it through the story. And then when he gets comically shot by arrows <laughs> uh, and then has to <laughs> staple has to staple his leg back together, mm-hmm. which, by the way, that had to be a great day for the Foley artists. <laughs> like, uh, uh, alright, mate, this is what I need you do. <laughs> oh, they're Australian. <laughs> well, because it's, yeah, it's an Australian director. Okay. And John Hillcote. Uh, he has to... <laughs> <laughs> mate... I need you to staple. I need you to find out what it sounds like, to stiple skin to skin. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, no, and that, they did a good job it, it. It was making me cringe. Yeah. Uh, this is a really grimy movie. It's raw? Yeah, it's raw. Uh, which I like. That's something that uh, John Hillcoat is especially adept at. Mm-hmm. He's adept at movies that take place outside and need to be dark and gritty. Yeah. I think
1: Hillcoat has it in him to make like one of those grandiose John Ford westerns if he really wanted to. Absolutely, like, like he could make our generations the searchers if he had the right script. Like I, I think he's like visually he just he he has it. He knows the language. He knows it so well. The scripts aren't usually a hundred percent. They could usually use a little more finesse. And, I don't, and that's just leading back to me wanting to read this book now because I'm not – I'm wondering are the flaws just from the book, were they too faithful or were they deviating from the book too much? I got, I'm going to have to figure this out.
0: That's a tough, that's a tough call because yeah. you look at other Cormac McCarthy movies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, adaptations. Sure. You have on this hand, you've got No Country for Old Men. Which is almost verbatim from the book. But it's also uh, – it was executed – by two of the most competent filmmakers Mm. working when they decide to make a competent film (laughs) uh, with the Coen brothers, obviously. Of course. Uh, then on the other hand, you got like all the pretty horses. Yeah. that's a different Cormac McCarthy beast. You know, it's still, you know, uh, you're taking the same author's works and you're Mm. interpreting them in different ways. And that's something a movie like this makes me think about. And the greater extent, uh, Oscar season makes me think about um, how different directors adapt fiction. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's done really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, again, No Country for Old Men is an example. The Silence of the Lambs might be the most perfect example, in my opinion. Uh, one of my absolute favorite adaptations, uh, and one of my favorite source materials, Gone Girl. Oh yeah. Oh. Because. Th- thumbs up. The. Book, Gone Girl, who is outstanding. Mm. And the movie, David Fincher, cast and everyone, they nail it. Mm-hmm. With a Cormac McCarthy uh, novel, you do have a lot of subtext. I think The Road does a pretty good job, having not read the book, it does a pretty good job of uh, effectively delivering upon the subtext. It, it conveys the mood. Like I, if I read the book, I know what I'm going
1: to get myself into now because there's – I mean there's Hillcoat's aesthetic and then there's like the, the, the skeleton underneath uh, and that skeleton is McCarthy's words. So I'm wondering how much – because he likes to do that stream of consciousness stuff that Chuck Palahniuk likes to rip off all the mm-hmm. time and uh, where we have a point of focus character and we'll dip in and out of his brain. In situations, and then every once in a while there comes some dialogue that just obnoxiously doesn't have quotations around it because I'm a philistine and just demand to have quotations wrapped around a word.
0: I do think I see what you're saying. the The focus, the focal character, is the man, Papa mm-hmm. Vigo Mortensen. <laughs> Vigo the Carpathian. Yeah. Um, we get a lot of uh, voiceover. We it's uh, the story is pushed along from his perspective. Yeah. He, We see his struggle with keeping his son alive, keeping himself alive, dealing with the memory of his wife, Charlize Theron. You get the flashbacks, the dream sequences, where uh, which is the best possible way for this movie to convey how we got where we are.
1: Right, but the, the story is so fractured. These are like vignettes, really, strung together by narr- uh, uh-huh. narration. That's really all they are. It's like, for the first... 10 to 15 minutes is just him talking about what the world is, and then it's quiet for a while, and then we shift gears rather, I mean... Jarringly. Jarringly towards that sequence with Garrett uh, Dillahunt, who's like, you're not going to kill man, <laughs> and then yeah. he ends up having to kill him, he kills his first man ever. Um, and then
0: that's kind of the inciting incident of the film, really. Yeah, because they, uh, first of all, he almost blows his kid's head off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they lose their shopping cart full of goodies yeah uh thankfully the the mean uh mercenaries didn't steal my kid's elephant yeah. <laughs> the like one thing that the kid has to snuggle with, which is one more thing that um, M- Michael Kenneth
1: Williams did. Later on in the movie, he's like, "I'm just taking everything. I'll leave the sleeping kid, but everything else, including stuffed elephant, coming with me."
0: Well, yeah, that's because Omar's not a bad man. Oh, Omar. I know that. I know that he's not technically Omar in this movie mm-hmm. because he didn't just kill uh, Vigo Mortensen and the kid. Right. Uh, but man, that sequence mm-hmm. really hurt me. Why? Uh, because it was just the you. You were seeing Vigo Mortensen. Transform what does the kid say early in the film? we're always going to be the good guys, aren't we?
1: right? I love that pit though because he says we're not going to eat anybody, are we and Vigo
0: Mortensen says, no, I'm pretty sure we're not Probably to. not. <laughs> but uh you know Michael K. Williams is such a great actor he's in the movie for five minutes, and the i I got like a little emotional when Vigo Mortensen's like telling him to strip mm-hmm. and he's just like don't please don't you don't have to do this to me you I'm doing what you would have done. And the the shoes, too. And he's standing there clutching his shoes. shoes. Yeah. And I was just like, oh. Leave Michael K. Williams alone and give him his clothes back. And the shoes. Throw them in the car. (sighs) Throw them in the car.
1: Try to do me like this.
0: You don't mind doing it to us? I beg you, I
1: beg you, please. Papa, it's a two-boy man. I ain't stopping.
0: The same thing. But I am here. But I, I'm gonna leave you just the way you left us. Help me pull the car. Pull
1: the car. Well, what did you think was sadder? Michael K. Williams losing his shoes or Cody Smith McPhee kissing his father goodbye for the last
0: time? I was going to say Vigo Mortensen losing his life. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, no, you know, I thought it was kind of cute because I was waiting for uh, the kid to say, sorry, dad. Sorry, Papa. Guy Pierce is my dad now. <laughs> I'm going to go live with a family. Yeah, the kid's got like this weird obsession with finding another boy. That's Molly Parker, too. His wife. Guy Pierce's yeah. wife. From the dead yeah, Uh But yeah, the kid, like, I see a boy. <laughs> you know, because he so desperately yeah. wants to not be the only little boy in the world. He But he to... did see that boy. and <laughs> they, They've been following him the entire time. It was a trick. Yeah. That was the same little boy, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was the same little boy. So yeah, you know, really my big thing is that. This movie is really good, but it's the it's a good kind of boring, surprisingly svelte. Mm-hmm. Uh, could have gone on a lot longer. Not thankfully. a lot of meat on Didn't. its
1: bones. But it's it's pretty engaging. Yeah. Do you like it better now that you've talked about it more than you did at the beginning of the podcast?
0: I would say that uh, talking through it, I definitely derive some enjoyment. I think it's beautiful. Uh, hands down, the Nick Cave Warren Ellis uh, score is just perfect. Um Figo Mortensen's great. The kid's great. If this is a this is a ding dang good movie. Yeah, ding dang good movie. Now, as far as apocalypse movies go, mm-hmm. Jared, I have a question for you. Can't wait. What is your favorite post-apocalyptic film? That's a tough one to say. Post-apocalyptic film. Yeah.
1: Um. I don't have one. I've got like three. Okay. <clears throat> um. If I I'll just nail them. We don't have to dwell on any of them. Let's but talk. um my first one is a clockwork orange. Because that's just how I think like yeah, if we're not gonna be running wild off the rails uh, as a society, the government will tighten its grip on us and that's just what shit's gonna look like. In the same vein of that, my second is V for Vendetta, which we are definitely gonna be doing very shortly. Um, where uh, you know, Britain has maintained control after a very terrifying virus nearly wiped out its entire population and the rest of the world's falling to shit. But Britain endures because of evil.
0: Because of the queen.
1: And then finally, uh, The Matrix. Oh. Come on, man. That qualifies. That it does qualify. Absolutely. The world absolutely. had been a charred shithole for generations and maybe even millennia before, you know, the robots finally used us as the batteries. But that movie definitely counts. As post-apocalyptic, in my humble opinion. But what about you, Bird? What
0: are your favorite
1: post-apocalyptic films?
0: I got a few, too. Uh, I'm a big fan of Children of Men. Children of Men? I thought that was a really, yeah, really gripping, gritty... It lives in the same uh, aesthetic kind of world as The Road. In a way. Uh, it has Very less dark. schmaltz. Less schmaltz, more... Action. I'm talking.
1: No, the road has less schmaltz more than. Oh yeah, (laughs) the children of men. Totally. Michael Caine's
0: pothead comes to mind. That's true. Um, Also, uh, big fan of. I mean, the entire Mad Max universe. Oh, you're gonna do it, aren't you? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm gonna tell you that (laughs) my favorite post-apocalyptic film might be Twelve Monkeys by Terry Gilliam. Say what? Twelve Monkeys. Twelve Monkeys, yeah. Mm. Terry Gilliam's Twelve Monkeys, the the uh, post apocalyptic, yeah. the post apocalypse is what you start with. Mm-hmm. And they send Bruce Willis back, Yeah. and there's the time circle, time loop. You're right. Uh, I haven't seen that movie in so long; I practically blurred it all out. I used to own it, and I think I lost it in one of the fifteen moves I've made in my life. I have it; it's over there. Yeah, I just haven't watched it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's one of the you know one of those times that Terry Gilliam got to make a movie Mm -hmm. and sometimes when Terry Gilliam gets to make a movie it's pretty cool usually pretty great yeah well
1: that's all the time we have this week for Anti-Monitor thank you as always for joining us please find us on iTunes if you haven't already give us a rating will ya write a review why don't ya Uh, if you're subscribed already please accept our hearty thanks look us up on social media we're on Facebook Instagram Twitter Birdie where can we find you on Twitter on Twitter
0: at BirdMoney at on Instagram at bird money. Oh email at bird money <laughs> bird money at gmail that's true yeah I, i'm at bird money
1: on all platforms that's awesome easy to find likewise i too jared jones just look me up you're pretty easy to find these days especially if uh, you throw an underscore in there that's right uh tell us what you thought about the road we are interested we want to know um in the meantime though next time we'll be talking about another flake on anti-monitor but until then i'm jared that's bird and from all of us at doomrocket.com
0: Cannibalism is the great fear.